And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is episode 184. And uh, again, we read another light book uh, called <laughs> The Strangest Way by Robert Barron. Yes. Some some person who's getting kind of famous, right? Have we talked about him? I don't on, know. I don't know that we have talked about him. I'd be surprised if he didn't come up because yeah. I watch a lot of his videos and things. Um, so I, I'd be surprised if I haven't mentioned him before. Right. But maybe I haven't. I listen to his podcasts mm-hmm. and uh, read his books. Yeah. And his he and his blog posts. Yes. Since and, I don't really uh, care for YouTube. Sorry. Yeah. Many many people may know him from uh, the Catholicism documentary series. Mm-hmm. And then he added uh, the pivotal players, and it looks like he's adding one on the mass. Okay. I don't know how many parts that will be, but I, I noticed that yeah. that's something that he's about to release. So he's um, a priest from Chicago who's now a bishop in California, an auxiliary bishop in L.A., and he d- began with the bishops urging doing YouTube videos responding to or you know like doing uh, movie reviews or commenting on something that had come up in popular culture answering something where maybe somebody was taking catholics to task and didn't fully understand things and in that process he came into conversation with tons of non-believers or people who imperfectly understood what catholicism is because of the comments hmm. and that led to this becoming more and more and more of a ministry and a lot of people compare him to Fulton Sheen, which is, I think, mostly older <laughs> um, <laughs> listeners would know him. And he was super popular, major TV show in the 60s, I think it was, 50s. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. And he would be, he was opposite somebody like Milton Berle and would mm. beat him in the ratings. They would make jokes to each other on their TV shows. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> so he was a real popularizer and helping people understand what their faith is and other people understand what the Catholic faith is. And so he's he's compared a lot to that guy because what Bishop Barron does is make it very understandable in our culture. And he's so approachable seeming and he's done, in fact, Facebook asked him out to do a talk to their employees. They're just now putting on his Word on Fire um, podcast feed the second part of a talk he did to Google. Hmm. So he is being asked to go and bring the faith places, you know? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Yeah, and and my understanding is that uh, Cardinal Francis George is the one that originally asked him to do that. Right, right, that's Uh, it. Yeah, so he said, yeah, go go do this. I don't have any idea what this is going to look like, but, you know, just just do that. Yeah. (laughs) And he said, okie doke, and then uh, started to, figure out, you know, just feel his way through. And mm-hmm. and then Word on Fire Catholic Ministries was born. Yeah, and they've got a big website. We'll put links to all these things. They've got a big website. I understand mm-hmm. they're working on a uh, biblical commentary for, uh, you know, the nuns, which is people with no religion. Yeah, yeah. Usually younger. Um, but anyway, so they've got all these things going on. It's very exciting. Mm. And if you're like, thought of me <laughs> then um he's he's good at kind of putting things in a way that kind of just broadens your understanding of the faith i think or deepens it yeah yeah that's I my my that. feeling yeah yeah that's he's very inspirational well to me he yeah. is he's been inspirational to me too he's yeah instrumental i i listen to him uh often mm-hmm. yeah so. he has a weekly homily that mm-hmm. he puts online on Wednesday or Thursday for the coming weekend. And then he's got a weekly half hour show that he does where it's just, sometimes he'll talk about a movie. Sometimes like this Google talk will go on there. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's good. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I'd say, you know, he's, he's been important to me. Um, I, I like how he, when you, when you listen to his talk, it's challenging. Um, yeah. you know, yeah. he, he is broadening your intellectual understanding of topics, you know, uh, however many videos he's done, all these topics and, and it, um, 
I think it gives a person, it certainly gives me um, kind of hope and it, and it uh, solidifies some of the, the things I believe. When somebody presents it in that way, in a way that, that um, feels to me that, it, you know, it's correct, but it's smart, you know, it's, it's not, um, you know, all emotional or anything like that. Yet he right. does have that. He's not like Mr. Spock. Um, you know what I mean? He's a human being. He's a human Not being. A yeah. But, but how he presents it, it's, it's like, you know, and I was thinking while I was preparing for this podcast, how, um, you know, he's influenced me and in what I do and I do RCIA and inquiry. And I've also taught, um, you know, teenagers getting ready for confirmation. I haven't done that for a while, but I've done it before, but I've, I've found, I think the same thing that he ha- has, and that's, that you you know you don't dump down anything. It really doesn't matter who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. When you talk to them, you know, and answer their question directly, and bring out the catechism, and you bring out the Bible, and you uh, show them that, like a, a lot of times when I have a person that's new to RCIA, they often have or new to inquiry. That's what I've been doing lately. They they often come with very specific questions, but when they um, sort of run out of questions, I usually start to talk about um, scripture tradition in the magisterium, you oh, know, how, how okay. it is that we claim to have our information, you know, That's, because okay. it, it, it yeah. is a, it's a difference from other churches and it, and it really sort of gets the ball rolling. But, but I find that when I talk about that and I'm bringing out the Bible, you know, and, uh, and I'm bringing out the catechism. So I'm showing them what that is and everything. And I explain to them that, you know, yeah, scripture is super important, but we also have this tradition with a capital T and we also have the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And, um, you explain all that and, and their eyes usually light up. It, it's, it's like they, they really wanted that. You know what I mean? It's, they there's want someone to talk to them that way. Um, yeah. right. It, yeah. That there's a basis for what we believe. It's not just the latest group of people said this. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. that's why people don't understand. It can be so hard to go, oh, you should just approve of, I don't know, gay marriage or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, or ordaining female priests or whatever. Because, well, we're looking through 2,000 years worth of uh, conversation about it first. Right. It's mm-hmm. the basis for all this stuff because it goes back a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's kind of interesting. It does. Yeah. So, but I think that I learned some of that way to speak, you know, from Robert Barron, you know, when I'm in, in there, in that setting. (laughs) And, um, I found the same thing with teenagers, you know, I, you know, I teach at a a technical college right now. That's my job. You know, I've done that for the last couple of years and it's the same there too. It's like, I don't know if people have been talked down to so much that they just, (laughs) it's just refreshing when you treat them like adults. Mm -hmm. But I did, when I, when I did the, uh, confirmation classes, um, they were the most interested, these teenagers, when I was talking about things in a philosophical way, um, in not watered down in any way, you know, here's a coloring page type of stuff, yes. <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey, let's, let's talk about this and what it means and where it came from and, uh, you know, how it can affect your life or what it means to us personally. And you talk to them as adults. And uh, mm-hmm. they, I've always got really good response when I do that. Yeah, and that's what Bishop Barron does um, because he's always relating it back to something we all understand in our culture and as people. Mm. You know, he likes to talk about baseball a lot. I, I don't love baseball, but, mm-hmm. you know, his examples are things that we all understand. Yeah, yeah. So he's uh, he's just relating it well. And so he's written... You know, he has a book called Catholicism, which was basically the book of his um, 10 part, I think it was, series that PBS ran. And he's got a variety of other books. He did a commentary for somebody on Second Samuel, which I would like to read sometime. He's got a book that's out with, which really I think John Allen wrote, and it was an interview with Bishop Barron that it talks about a lot of the things that Scott and I have already kind of touched on and other questions too, of course. And this one though, that you picked Scott, the strangest way walking the Christian path is one that I've had my eye on for a long time. 
for a couple of reasons. One is the introduction is very interesting. And the other is it was written in 2002. So I think it's the first book he ever wrote. Yeah, it's definitely one of them. Um, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page and it shows uh, a few before then, but but they had they have titles like a study of the de potentia of Thomas Aquinas in light of the dogmatic of Paul Tillich. <laughs> uh, did we mention he's also very smart? <laughs> and that, by the way, is the subject of our next podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the movie on that one. <laughs> well, he wrote Heaven in Stone and Glass, and I read that. That's a oh. brief coverage of what are the parts of the cathedral. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, and it, it's good. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen other things in other places about it, but it's very approachable version, that kind of a conversation. But I think this is the first one where he's kind of, to me, it is a great book to recommend to people because it's it's him in a nutshell, mm. I think. Yeah, I've heard mm-hmm. him talk about these topics many times. Yeah, many times you recognize a lot of this stuff, and his voice mm. is very present. When having listened to him so many times, you look at it and you go, "Oh yes, I can almost hear him saying these things." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, I agree. I agree. But it's it's good because it's accessible, but it's deep. Mm-hmm. It's something you could read many times, I think, and always get something new out of, or be reminded of something pivotal that you forgot. Mm. Yeah. So now we've talked all around it. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. So, um, but yeah, the, the book, he talks about uh, Christianity as a, as a path or Christianity as walking a path. Um, and then he goes into three paths and these are the three things that I've heard him talk about many times. So the first path is finding the center. And then the second path is knowing that you're a sinner. And the third path is realizing your life is not about you. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those are the uh, that's that's the whole book in a nutshell. So he has a little introduction, and then there's a chapter on each path, a fairly lengthy chapter, mm-hmm. and then um, he just has a few pages at the end. It, it's in my you know it's called concluding meditation. <laughs> so um, the whole book is only about 160 pages long. Um, so it's definitely something that you know a lot of people can get into. Um, yeah. Yeah. And each path is focused on, or maybe you were going to say this already. Each oh, path mm-hmm. is focused on a different piece of literature. Yeah. And that's one of the things that drew it to me to talk about here because that's kind of what we do here. And it was really, <laughs> it was really neat to, to have that from Bishop Barron. You know, Barron, he, he does movie reviews every now and then too. Yeah. So um, it's, it's fun. Well, and I liked that he starts off, it's funny, he's got just, it's a four-page preface or Mm three-and-a-half-page preface, and it's the explanation for the whole book, The Strangest Way. Yeah, yeah. Which is that there were some Buddhists at this religious gathering he was at, and they were looking, and it was at a um, monastery Mm. where Thomas Merton had been. He's looking at the crucifix the whole time, and he's like, what the heck, you guys? Mm, Why do you have this terrible scene everywhere? Right. And he's like, yeah, that's that's true. And so he starts talking about the crucifix because – Christian or um, Protestants, especially, will criticize Catholics for not taking Christ off the cross. Mm. They look at it as dwelling on the worst part instead of with the empty cross, they say, Well, Christ has risen. Yeah. Which I always was like, Wow, okay. Um, (laughs) Not coming from either of those traditions originally, because one of the things I love about the crucifix is it reminds you exactly what was given up for you. Agreed, agreed. And I like, you know, this shows Barron's approach to things right away. You know, Barron doesn't say, you know, our way is absolutely right and, you know, or whatever. (laughs) He considers it. He's always thinking about it. So I actually highlighted the part. He said, I love that man's question. And that man's question was, what is this? With the crucifix, right? He said, more to the point, I love the bother that prompted it. Yeah. Christians have become so accustomed to seeing the crucifix in churches and schools, on seasonal greeting cards, worn as jewelry around people's necks, that they have long since lost any sense of how awful and strange it is. So, 
I, I like that that he he accepts this criticism from you know a Protestant or or uh, the Buddhist in this case, and considers it. He says, you know what, that is awful and strange, and then that leaves you leads you down a path, right? Um, yeah, because then what he does is say, you know, he grew up in in the post Vatican two years and. Mm-hmm. Which was, you know, necessary for a lot of reasons, but one of the side effects that wasn't the greatest is what they did is make, take a lot of those symbols away. Because, you know, those are so threatening and we don't understand we have a loving God and this and that. Mm -hmm. And it led to what he calls beige Catholicism. I don't know if he uses that phrase here. but he does. He uses it several times. (laughs) Every time I saw the word beige, I circled it. It was was at least three times in there. Okay. Yeah. It's one of my favorites because then he says, and what I had marked later is he says, um, you know, because they wanted us to be friends with God. And he says, and friendship with God, not simply worship, discipleship, seeking or ethical uprightness, but real intimacy with God entailed, I discovered, a giving of self that mirrored the radicality of God's own gift of self in Christ. Hmm. You know, um, the point of the Christian life is to be holy with the very holiness of God, and this means conformity with the love unto death. On both the human and divine side, therefore, there is a radical, even disquieting extremism about Christianity, and the best spirits in the Christian tradition do nothing to soften it. On the contrary, they intensify it. And that's what the book is about. How do do we walk that path in everyday Mm. life? What are the examples that help us remember what we're doing? Right. <clears throat> yeah, and um, another statement of purpose in that preface, he says, I am interested not primarily in making arguments in support of Christianity, as in presenting Christianity in its odd particularity. Accordingly, my target audience is my fellow Christians, perhaps especially those members of my own generation who came of age during a rather beige time. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. thumbs up. Yeah. Right. So yeah, and then from from there he he just does a very short section um, called paths and practices where he just sort of introduces what he's about to talk about, and um, he says in there you know Christianity before all else is a form of life a path one walks and I really liked that statement, um, you know it, it's it's something that I knew already right but it's a mm-hmm. it's a you know sometimes you know somebody says something that's very clarifying. So, well, it's funny because it also reminded me that recently um, I was reminded that early Christians weren't called Christians. Christian was an insult hmm. that eventually got picked up and embraced, but it was they called themselves followers of the way. Hmm. So, this is that same thing. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also implies, uh, when you think about it, it implies that there isn't an end, right? Yeah. It's a path. Right. It's yeah. a it's a path in there. You don't run out of uh things and, and win at the end. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm saying, you know, you don't get the trophy and says, All right, I know everything now. I'm all set. Right? Right. It's a path. It's it's something that's forever. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um Yeah, and uh let's see. I'm just looking at some of the things that I've marked here. Um you know, he, he talks about Vatican II a bit, and um, I liked this statement here. Um, I don't think we embrace the way of Christ by knocking down the monuments of the Christian tradition, but rather by walking around and through them, looking at them with admiration yeah. and critical attention. And I don't think we find salvation through an isolation of mind from body, but rather through the movements and passions of the body. Christianity is a way and we learn it by walking it. Right. It is a river, and we know it by swimming. It is a game, and we come to love it through playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he's, yeah, that, that's pretty much where he's coming from and what he intends this book to be. Um, so what, what I was hoping that we'd do is just, um, since, you know, unless we want to do a four hour podcast, <laughs> which we easily oh, could do yeah. easily, um, is just take, you know, these three paths in turn and, uh, just, you know, sort of say something in that chapter that really struck us. 
Um, and then we'll just do, you know, uh, so the first chapter is finding the center. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he talks about finding the center, you know, well, what does that mean? He, he's just saying that, um, to me, you know, there's this bedrock that you should be connected to, um, and, and circling around, right. Something that never yeah. leaves sight. It's always there. Yeah. Right. Cause without that, you know, you're unmoored and you're just flapping in the wind. You're, you're flying around. Right. Yeah. Um, so then he just talks about that. Um, but anyway, do you do you want me to start? I can well, say with a thing that struck me most in that chapter. Yeah. Um, uh, the one one little thing I wanted to mention also mm-hmm. is that he talks about these three paths, but so that you're not left kind of flapping in the wind from mm-hmm. that. He then has at the end of each of them a commentary about three different practices you could try. Yeah. Or yeah. that you could look at in your life. And ways to kind of connect with that. Yeah. And those are not just short, like one, two, three, four, do this. They're considerations in themselves. Yeah, agree. Of um, so, like for the finding the center, he talks about. Um, hold on, mm-hmm. I should have that more ready. Practices of prayer. So then that allows him to talk about the Jesus prayer. And the mm. rosary and that kind of thing. He has pilgrimages and processions, which actually kind of made me, we were planning a vacation for this fall. And I thought, oh, I wonder if they've got an interesting cathedral or something that we should be able to do that when we go places anyway. Mm-hmm. But to think of it more as, you know, a pilgrimage. Nice. Yeah. In that way. Or, you know, because you could do local pilgrimages. Um, medals, crosses, and garbs. So ways to have your Catholic identity fasting yeah um so anyway he um he's giving recommendations too so mm. i'm sorry to backtrack but no that's terrific yeah and then you know the other uh thing that's worth mentioning about each one of those chapters and you mentioned it a little bit earlier is there is one major piece of literature that he focuses on at some point in each chapter as well and in this chapter it's brideshead revisited mm-hmm. by evelyn waugh yeah yeah, which is a book I haven't read, so um, I feel like I know it enough now to give it a shot, but I never have read it. I know. I've tried yeah. to read it two or three times, and I just don't think I like Evelyn Waugh's mm-hmm. writing style very much, which uh-huh. is, you know, I get that's not me. It's, I mean, him, mm-hmm. it's me, but um, our book club in a few months is going to read it, and so reading through his very thorough description of the book, I was like, oh, I at least know where it's going. Mm. So that will help me on the journey. Yeah. So I did appreciate that. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, So why don't you start? Okay. Well, um, you know, I did highlight a lot of things in this chapter. (laughs) I I mean, again, it's another one of those, you just dip it and highlighter. Um, but, but if I had to pick one thing that I think, uh, struck me the most and that I dwelt on the most was when he was talking about the Beatitudes on page 51. Me too. No way. How about that? That's crazy. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, he, he's talking about the Beatitudes and, um, he, he says, you know, so in Luke chapter six, verse 20, he says, how blessed are you who are poor. And then he says, let me propose the following reading. How lucky you are if you are not addicted to material things. Mm-hmm. And um, wow, that really that really hit me. I was like, really, you know. So I thought about that, and and it um, that really sank in. Um, and then two other ones that I have written down here. Uh, How blessed are you who weep now? And he said, might we translate it as follows? How lucky you are if you are not addicted to good feelings. Yeah. And happy are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on the account of the Son of Man. And then he says, how lucky you are if you are not addicted to the approval of others. And, um, yeah, I just, I've never thought about it that way. I agree. And mm-hmm. that's something that I made notes on, too. Those uh, I had missed the, I had forgotten the one about being poor, and it was then that I kind of sat up and refocused because for me, the Beatitudes have always been problematic in terms of my own reading. I mean, I understand their value and their worth and people talk about them. I go, Oh yeah. But they, I get to that point when I'm reading the Bible and I'm always like, Oh, here we go. The Beatitudes. 
And this gave it an immediate connection to my own life that made me perk up and go, yeah, hmm. yeah, this other reading of it is something I really can relate to because these are all things that we have trouble with today. Yeah, yeah. You know, it made me wish there were, he had done more, all hmm. of them, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but it has me looking at that completely differently now. So, mm-hmm. so now, you know, when I, when I read that again, um, you know, in, in Luke, I'm going to approach that differently because I think I feel the same way as you, you know, it's, you, you hit the Beatitudes and you're like, okay, you know, that's, that, that's, <laughs> yeah, he's you reversing know. everything. I get it. Right. And then, but I just <laughs> never it sank in, I guess. And now suddenly I'm like, oh yeah, that is speaking to me, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's directly yeah. connected. Right. Yeah, exactly. How happy are you when people hate you hmm. if you're not addicted to the approval of others yeah and it's it's boy that's a hard one it's i never thought of the word addicted hmm. but i like people to like me <laughs> I mean, we all do yeah yeah me too Jesus is the hmm. one who said look how they treat me they're going to treat you the same way and so oh really but i'm pretty nice yeah you yeah. know mm-hmm. um so what is it that keeps me from doing something maybe because i'm worried about what people will say or think i mean it was just a really good representation yeah yeah mm-hmm. agreed agreed yeah. yeah do you have anything else you'd like to talk about in that um, since I, I stole that one from you <laughs> well i actually do i marked Wonderful. two good i <laughs> I marked also the idea of the medals, crosses, and garb. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So wearing, and I mentioned, you know, the idea of the pilgrimage made me think, you know, oh, on our vacation, is there some place I can go on pilgrimage? Not that that will change our vacation necessarily, but um, it did make me kind of refocus that thinking. And then he's talking about a book, another book. Um, and I've heard of this author, Susan Howatch, maybe is how you say that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's English. And she wrote a whole bunch of novels about the Church of England. And there's somebody who's, I guess, in all the books, who talks about wanting people to carry a crucifix, troubled people he counsels, so that if they're confronting a special temptation or anxiety now, no demon can withstand the power of Christ. But what it does is it recenters you makes you remember Christ and what he went through and what we're here for and all this kind of thing. And so it's centering and grounding you and allowing you yourself to channel that grace maybe of Christ you needed at that time. And I thought, you know, I've always been one of those people who doesn't like, I don't like wearing, it's not that I don't like wearing crosses, but it's just not something I'm drawn to Mm. or medals or carrying a rosary with me or whatever. But I do have two crucifixes hanging in my house in different places. And when they catch my eye, one is near our coffee nook and the other is uh, just in a prominent spot by our fireplace. I will go up to them and I'll touch Jesus's feet and I'll stop for a second. Hmm. And I was like, maybe I need to have something like that that I do carry with me. I don't need to wear it, but I just need to have it like in my purse or something. Yeah. Because when it catches your eye, it also kind of recenters your day. Hmm. And it's that connection with the physical us, you know, kind of jolts you out of everything else that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. That's that's the effect that those things have on me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have a necklace with a St. Michael medal on it. Oh. Yeah. And then um, I also, I carry a finger rosary. Oh, you yeah. ever seen those? I have one of those. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I like those. You know, it's something that I always have in my pocket. Mm-hmm. So, you know, oh, okay. often unexpectedly I, I find it, you know what I mean? Oh. And uh, it has that effect. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, recentering. I think that's, you know, what the sign of the cross is, too. For me, um, you know, uh, it, it's something that you do deliberately or I do deliberately. You know, like if you're sometimes if I'm driving, if I'm anxious or something like that, um, I can do oh. a, just a sign of the cross and... And uh, that's sort of a deep breath, just say, you know, okay, just remember, remember who you are, <laughs> remember right. where you are, you know. Right. Um, it's and he he mentioned, you know, that that prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And he sort of presents that in the same way. Like that's something that you, you carry with you and you, you say that at any time and it's centering, mm -hmm. you know, the Jesus prayer, right? The Jesus prayer. Right. And I have, you know, so for me, you know, the sign of the cross is that way. Yeah. Yeah. So. As it should be for us all, but you know, mm -hmm. sometimes it gets to be automatic. So you have to stop and kind of think about it. Right. Right. Because there's the Trinity and every time you do it, it's a prayer. Right. Right. So yeah, we should pay attention. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, in this book, you know, shakes you to make, consider it again. Right. You know, again, in that first section, it's like, yeah, you know, we need to remember how strange it is, how awful it was, you know, <laughs> You're right. Um, right. So, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's something, you know, when, when we do that practice over and over and over, you know, there, there are benefits to that kind of stuff too. Like, like in mass, we do mass over and over and over. And one of the cool things about that, um, is when they change something, you really notice. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know the changes that are deliberate and have to do with the part of the year that you're in mm -hmm. um, are amazing. You know, <laughs> like you get to Easter and they start tweaking it. You know, and it's like, oh wow, you know. And in Lent, you know, you don't do the Gloria and stuff. It's it's missing. You know. Yeah, and when they put it back at Easter, suddenly it breaks forth into this new glory. It means yeah more. It means more, right? Yeah. Yeah, love it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, should we move yeah, on to the two. second path? <laughs> this yes. is going faster than I expected, but oh. we're hitting so many good things, though. <laughs> um, There's a lot more in here than we're talking about. Yeah, so, yeah, there, there totally is. So, walking the second path, knowing that you're a sinner, is uh, what this one's called. And, uh, yeah, please go first on this one. Well, I would like to say the literature that he focuses on is Dante's Purgatorio. Yeah. We know Dante, personal yes, we, friend. We do, and it made yeah. me want to reread Dante. Yeah, yeah, I was fighting myself the whole time, going, "No, you're reading nine books right now. Stop it!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as is the case with the Beatitudes, he he takes you through, or I mean, with um, *Brideshead Revisited*, but where he would touch other things, you know, he takes you through Dante, or at least Purgatorio. And he had things to say in there that either reminded me or opened up that again. One of which was mentioning St. Augustine, who calls sin the state of being caved in on yourself. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah. And he compares it to, you know, Dante, uh, Dante putting Satan in the middle of hell, frozen in ice. Incapable yeah. of movement, just he can move his wings and cry. That's mm. all he can do. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, that's that good reminder of when you don't, when you're not constantly looking outward and reaching outward, you, you're like, oh, I'll just have this for myself. You're suddenly caving in on yourself. Mm. And so I loved that image. And then for me, I liked when he was talking about one of the ways, the, the practices of knowing you're a sinner mm -hmm. is practicing forgiveness. Ah. Uh. Yeah, And he was talking about how it's really misunderstood these days where it's this, um, oh, well, that's all right. I'm just not going to think about it anymore. And he said, no, it's actually you're supposed to be reestablishing the bond with the other person. So even if you're the person who's been wronged, you have to keep reaching out to them, too. Mm. And. You know, so so part of it is, yes, I forgive you, yes, this and that. But he gives two very vivid examples of people who were really wronged and who went way farther than any of us would think in reaching out to the person who wronged them. Yeah. Because what you're doing is helping them back on the path. And uh, one of the things he says in there is, there is something relentless, even aggressive about forgiveness since it amounts to a refusal to ever give up on a relationship. Hmm. And I thought, oh, that's interesting because thinking of forgiveness as being relentless and aggressive is just not the way we think of it. You know, you're the one who's coming back again and again and again. Hmm. You're not the one who's asking for forgiveness. You're the one who's granting the forgiveness aggressively. <laughs> And that makes it yeah. sound mean and overbearing, but what it is is you're continually making yourself available to the other people. 
you know. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, and the examples he gave were really vivid, but you think of examples in your own life, and I thought of one where, you know, Tom and I were both wronged by a couple of people, and we we weren't, the thing is, is we forgave them, and we kept on participating and trying to do so in the best spirit possible in this group, which we they were, tr- were trying to force us out of. And we're just like, okay, we don't need to have this role. We can do this. We'll, you know, but I was like, you know, but I wasn't aggressively forgiving about it. I wasn't saying, let's go out to dinner together. Hmm. How did this misunderstanding come up? We don't bear you any ill will. Hmm. I wasn't taking it that further away. And maybe they wouldn't have accepted it, but I didn't offer it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we've since worked past it to where that doesn't matter. Mm. We're all friends now, and I don't know how that happened because they, <laughs> evidently they went through an internal conversion of hearts, so that was good. Our prayers hopefully helped and everything else, And but it's that thing where I'm like, oh, but I could have been, I guess you would say, proactive, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, it, it, but it, it made me realize I wasn't doing the seven times 70 which Jesus says is how many times you have to forgive somebody. I was hmm. like, oh, seven. Yeah. And it's not that that was easy, but I I did think of other, you know, like, let's go out to dinner. Let's do this. Let's sit down and talk. And we, but I never did it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Forgiveness is powerful. So what about you? So, yeah, on this, uh, on the practices, you know, uh, he has the confession of sin. So knowing you're a sinner, right? The confession of sin. That's the first one. Yeah. And then truth telling. Mm. Yeah. Christians are people dedicated to living in the truth, he says. Because Jesus described himself as the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, forgiveness, like you said. And those are the three that are there. So, um, uh, a passage that really struck out at me, um, especially in relation to this podcast we do, is on page 96. Um, he says, From ancient creation myths to the Rambo and Dirty Harry movies, the principle is the same. Order destroyed through violence is restored through a righteous exercise of greater violence. Some agent of chaos is corralled and conquered by fighting him or it on his own terms and overpowering him. If domination is the problem, as in ancient stories, then a counter-domination is a solution. If gun violence is the problem, as in most cop movies, then a bigger and more skillfully handled gun is the solution. And in these myths, God or the gods are customarily invoked as the sanction for the process. And then there is Jesus. The terrible disorder of the cross, the killing of the Son of God, is addressed not through an explosion of divine vengeance, but through a radiation of divine love. Mm-hmm. And that just floored me. Yeah. Floored me. Oh, man. I was like, oh, you know, he's so right. You know, and it might be because I'm watching Justified right now. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about, uh, you know, a, a oh, more yeah. skillful gun violence is in opposition to the gun violence. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but then, you, you know, it's just, it was like presented at, at the perfect time. And, and, I, and I read that and I was like, my goodness, that is such a stark difference. And, you know, he, he talks about, you know, the strangest way, you know, it's, it's just a, such a stark difference to the, to the stories that we have everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. That just, that just really blew me away. That, that thought. It's so true. Mm-hmm. And then, um, something else I, I need to read, uh, Thomas Merton's, the sign of Jonas. I don't know. If I have read that it. on my list too. Yeah. I've seen it mentioned yeah. a couple of times, both of them by Bishop Barron. Yeah. His, his description of, uh, the epilogue of that is yes. something that really, I've just, I got to read that. <laughs> yeah, I how cool is that? It does remind me of, you know, Dante in a way, right. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but how cool is that? Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't, I didn't know about that. So 
Well, and it made me, I think it was Brideshead Revisited that where he mentions its comparison to, um, oh gosh, Teresa of Avila's The Interior Castle. Yeah. And mm. that's one I need to reread along with reading The Sign of Jonas, I agree. Because yeah. all of these things essentially, so far anyway, are talking about working your way kind of through a maze, through a huh. process yeah. to find the center to find, uh, to know who you are, which is essentially a sinner, you know, and mm. that always sounds terrible when you're not a Christian and you hear people say that, you know, and you're just like, oh my gosh, yeah, because we're all bad. But it's that idea that it's not that we're bad because Catholics will say, no, God says he creates everything and he says it is good, but we have flaws. We have these flaws that no matter what we try, we cannot overcome them. Mm. And that is you have to know who you are before you can try to build your way out of it with, you know, of course, with Christ helping you or, you know, even just say, okay, this is a dangerous area for me. How do I safeguard myself or others from yeah. this flaw, you know, a mm. temper, uh, whatever it is. And it, it is it is like finding your way through a maze. Mm. Yeah. Both the centering so you know where you stand. Here is Christ. Here is God. And also, who am I? You know, these right. are such basic things. Yeah, and I think it was in the Merton section as well. I mean, that little section at the end of this mm-hmm. chapter where, where he said something like, um, oh, wait, here it is. Here it is. He says, um, yeah, uh, page 103. Uh, Merton's beautifully crafted narrative is meant to evoke the practice that I am insisting upon. The oh. searching out of one's life, which is exactly what you're talking about carefully, prayerfully, painfully, in preparation for the confession of sin. Without this exercise, we remain caught by our hidden fault, tripped up and betrayed by it, and thus we are unfit for the third path of holiness. That's exactly what you were saying. Yeah, and that's Mm. why it's followed immediately by truth-telling, because we have to be able to tell the truth about ourselves too. And that's the truth we don't want to see because we're ashamed or embarrassed or angry about it. Yeah. yeah. And and that was part of the thing. It's in this section where it's talking about, oh golly, friendship with God at one point. Um, I think it was right after the part you were reading before where he says, you know, a true friend is, and this is, he's quoting someone, is somebody who sees you at your worst and loves you anyway. Hmm. And of course that's Christ. You know, we want to be like Adam and Eve and hide behind the bushes and go, we're okay, everything's fine over here. (laughs) But it's not fine. Right. And God already knows it. He's asking the question of Adam and Eve and of us, you know, where are you? Where are you hiding? Come on out. He already knows what's going on. He's God. He wants us to be able to know it so we can all be together anyway. Hmm. You know, it's, it's what the whole point of doing these things is, is, it's to lead us to happiness, which is our ultimate goal anyway. And how, how would you be happier than being with God? That's right. right. You know. Yeah. And with each other. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, uh, one other thing that I marked, just mention it real mm. briefly, because he uses the word subsidiarity. <laughs> and I know that word now, word. and I'm good at it. No. <laughs> Uh, from a previous podcast but it was funny Uh, he says another extremely helpful guide to the practice of truth telling is found in Matthew 18 where we find a sort of moral application of the principle of subsidiarity yeah so if another member of the church sins against you go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone right so you're dealing with it at the at the lowest possible Mm -hmm place right Right. you know uh if the member listens to you you have regained that one right you don't you don't take it to the authorities or you know what i mean the church authorities or whatever and start complaining you say hey you know yeah i've been wronged what do you think about that and then if they if they uh listen to you then all is well yeah i I was tickled by that word so i was like yes i'm gonna highlight that Oh, subsidiarity. <laughs> oh, awesome. awesome. It makes me think of the castle where the father go, oh, the serenity. How's the serenity? How's the subsidiarity? That's right. 
Oh, I love it. Oh, goodness. So good. So good. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, walking the third path, realizing your life is not about you. That's the hard one. That is I mean, tough. they're all hard. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one where you go, oh, no, I think I'm good here. Right, right. Or me. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> And that one is based on the violent bear it away. Is that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A, little, a little bit of some light flattery. Uh, just oh, to... <laughs> oh shoot. Uh... <laughs> I got that audiobook some time ago. It was on sale. Oh, and Bronson Pinchot yeah. reads it, so he's amazing. And so I listened to the first part of it, and I'm listening going, no, this isn't the right time for me to listen <laughs> to this book, which is crazy. Uh... And so he's describing it because he does take you through the book fairly thoroughly, uh-huh. and, um, which is probably what I needed first. And I'm thinking, oh, I got further in this book than I realized, <laughs> you know, because it's probably not very long. And uh, man, it was the hard one for me, hmm. right? It was like, even with his description, I still don't understand a lot of what's going on. Here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah, Bronson Pinchot is awesome. So oh, yeah. um, I need to give that a listen. Oh, yeah. Someday. He's, he's yeah. great. <laughs> and when I recover, I'll let you know that I read it. Oh, great. That sounds good. You, you let me know that. <laughs> That's right. Oh, shoot. So, um, you know, in this one, um, a, a lot of th- the thing that struck me the most was, you know, his talk about uh, discernment. Oh. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about discernment in there. And he... He quoted this guy. I can't remember who this fellow is, but his name is Lonergan. Oh. And he mm-hmm. has these four, uh, four imperatives. Um, you know, be attentive, be intelligent, be reasonable, be responsible when you're trying to discern. Um, yeah. But this is the, the quote here. Uh, and so Christian disciples on the path of discernment must abide by Lonergan's fourth imperative, which is be responsible. They must have the courage of their Christian convictions and place in their body the truth that they have accepted. <laughs> in some ways, this entire book, with the emphasis on embodied practice, has been an exhortation to make this indispensable move. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and um, I think earlier on, you know, he talks about embodied practice. Earlier on, and this is not the first time I've encountered this, but he talks about, you know, in prayer, how, you know, body posture does matter. Right. You know, and things like that. And that's something that I grow lax on all the time. I'm, I'm as apt to pray just sitting on the couch. Um, I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah, I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, but I, uh, that the, the idea of embodied practice is very interesting to me. And, um, you know, so not just that, but, but here, what, what he's talking about, you know, he's not really talking about body posture or body posture or anything at this exact moment, but, but he's saying, um, Hey, go do something, you know, to, to me, that's what it means. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah, you can internalize this stuff, but what, what is it that you're doing? And, and he's, he says, this is an exhortation to make this indispensable move. Well, this indispensable move is like off the couch, <laughs> you know, in a way it's right. like, it's not only in prayer, but it's like uh, the rest of it too. That's the thing. You have to get out there and you have to live what you're, what you know and feel. Right. And the truth, you have to live the truth. And so whether it's a conversation with a coworker that you would, you know, something touchy comes up and you're like, oh crap, now I got to talk about this or yeah, yeah. volunteering. You know, mm-hmm. you're giving up your time, making a meal for someone, um, that kind of thing. And the funny thing is, is through practicing this, you know, you will get called into it, but you get called into it usually in ways that are already kind of appealing to you, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting because like we do this podcast, well, what's better than talking about this stuff? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I help with th- this marriage retreat. Well, it helped us so much. And also guess what? We get to hang out with all the people putting the retreat on while we're doing it. So it's not like it's just slogging along. You're getting stuff out of it too. And, um, but while you're doing that, you're being the public witness, you're the public face of Christ. And it also changes you internally. Hmm. You know, you're giving of yourself, but God's using that without you realizing it usually to kind of start molding you again in a different way by everybody you come into contact with. 
Yeah. yeah. And the sacrifices you make and everything else. And it's, it's just so key to do something with yeah. your faith. I agreed. And that's, that's that whole idea. Uh, well, it, it flies in the face of that idea of religion and spirituality, right? Like I'm spiritual, oh. but not religious, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's basically, you know, so spiritual, but not religious means that, yeah, I believe this stuff, but I'm not really going to do anything. I don't want to belong to a religion. It's what it usually means. Yeah. Yeah. And religions usually want you to do something. Right. Right. So, yeah, that was a big change for me, by the way, in my journey was when, when I decided to re- return, um, that was a big move, you know, because I always felt like, hey, I'm okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, mm-hmm. I, I would read about stuff all the time and think about it and, um, you know, in a Joseph Campbell kind of a way, um, kind of consider all of them as, as uh, somewhat truthful. And uh, But once you step in there and you start to participate then uh, there's your embodiment, you know, there, there's just something about that that makes it deeper. Right. Yeah, and the whole idea of community that that we've talked about um, also, it affects you. It does change you, just like you said. Yeah, and that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because hopefully there's something, you, well, there's a need that you're like, oh, I can help with this. Mm-hmm. Or there's something that's just like, I just have to tell people this or whatever it is that you're passionate about. And this is channeling it in a way that is good for everyone. Mm. It's funny how God does that. (laughs) That it is. (laughs) Well, and for me, I I liked that um, kind of, oh, well, and I I don't want to jump in. No, no, please. Yeah, you're perfect. I was going to say it ties into one of the things that struck me about this is the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, ah. which is uh, page one fifty two, is where he starts talking about that, and he's talking about Dorothy Day. And I just finished reading *The Long Loneliness*, oh, nice. which is her autobiography to whatever point of her life she was at then. And um, reading that, I was so struck by the fact that from the time she was young, she seemed to have two inner compulsions that drove her alternately in different directions. But one was this fascination with the poor and this kind of identification with, we should be helping these people. And the other was a search for religion, a search for God. Mm -hmm. And her family wasn't religious or anything, but she would just find herself drawn to churches. She would be thinking about it all the time. She would be, you know, going to mass daily and stuff. And you're just like, oh, these things were already kind of built in without really even being nurtured necessarily. Mm. And not that she came from a well-off family, but, you know, she just could see this. And um, then when she became Christian, suddenly there was a purpose. It Mm. was a radical purpose because that's how Jesus is. Yeah, yeah. As she as she expressed it and struggled to find a way to do it, and then you know met up with Peter Maritain, no, yeah, Peter Morin, mm-hmm. and uh, I think anyway, yeah, I think you're right. I get the names mixed yeah, up. I, but, I, um, I read a book called Loaves and Fishes by Dorothy Day last okay. last year, but yeah, okay. so this is somewhat familiar, but yeah, yeah. Well, and I had read. I actually just a side note. I I liked the first half of the book a lot, and the second half was less interesting to me because it was full mm. of detailed stories about personality so I didn't know or care about but it was still very valuable to read and it really tied in with what he says here is you know the the thing is is that a lot of times doing this puts you to inconvenience it makes you uncomfortable and one of the things Dorothy Day would say to these starry-eyed people who would show up wanting to help feed the poor she'd go okay here's two things you have to know the poor are ungrateful and they smell (laughs) so you know it's like Here's reality. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get a reward. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be inconvenient. You have to do it anyway. And it's not that you won't find things in there that are valuable to you. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of, you know, regular world too. Right. And, and I found that that's really valuable. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Dorothy Day is fascinating. But yeah. So the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. Mm-hmm. And it's a funny thing because um, I'll be doing something and Rose will say, oh, well, because that's a corporal work of mercy that you're doing. And I'm like, 
oh, you're right. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it that way, mm-hmm. but you're correct. I don't have to do this. And it's ministering to these people in a way they would never have otherwise. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like my movie group thing that we were talking about on the last podcast. Right, right. <clears throat> Excuse mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I charge something. Because, you know, you hope that you can make a little money at it. But the main reason I charge something is these places won't take you seriously if you just want to give it away. Right. Yeah. You just get shunted around. They take it seriously if they're paying for it. And then they work to help make everybody know about it and come and do everything. But the reason I'm doing it is to connect with the people. Hmm. So, um, you know, and it's, it's, <laughs> it's just it is what it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's cool. (laughs) Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not great. It's just Mm. what it is. And but it's that thing of, um, you know, you have to get out there and do it. Right. And I find myself challenged all the time just by stuff that, yeah, I'm like, oh no, I have to go to this part of town, and there's like 20 highways converging, and oh, (laughs) I don't (laughs) like doing this. Uh, But I will. Yeah. You know, it's the little things that challenges you on, and then you become stronger at those things. That's right. You know, that sounds dumb. But, no, it's funny know. that you mentioned, you know, the, the you know, these 20 highways come in, <laughs> you know, and here I am in Utah, you know, where we've got one road. <laughs> Sometimes I can't turn left on that road and it's really frustrating. <laughs> oh, <be> like my- <laughs> There's one place that I've gone to a few times and I'm, I'll, people say, where is it? I'm like, oh, it's past the zoo. And they're like, oh, that's hard to get to from your part of town. I'm like, Yes, yes it is. <laughs> all these highways come together and they're going to Fort Worth and they're uh, going off to these other places and there's like all these highways and huge signs and it's like um, in a movie. When they're uh, trying to do a big city. This is the kind of thing they show and I'm just going, okay, okay, you got to cross those four lanes of traffic in that, you know, very short time period. Good. Now stay in the middle <laughs> lane and don't get shunted off over here. Oh no, I'm getting shunted off. There's a truck. <laughs> and it's dumb, but it's because oh I don't gosh. do it all the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so that's the one where I have to get my courage in both hands. And it's a silly thing to have to be courageous about, but it makes me have to be courageous. No. What will yeah. I do in order to fulfill my promise to the people? No, that's not silly at all. Well, yep. it's just we all have these these things that sound silly to other people who don't have that problem. Mm, yeah. You know, so yeah. anyway. Yeah, in the previous town I lived at, we didn't even have any stoplights. <laughs> <laughs> Just a stop sign. And sometimes there was a car you had to wait for. It was excruciating. That's the worst. (laughs) And maybe they didn't go in the correct order. (laughs) That's right. If somebody's to the right, they get to go first. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, this is great. So, yeah, the the very last paragraph of that section. So, uh, realizing your life is not about you. He says, and so seeking out the will of God... Caring in the most concrete way possible for those around us in need. Striving to live in line with the truth of God's nonviolence. Iconically displaying the divine life in the liturgy. Christians know that their lives are not about them. In all these ways, they walk the third path. So yeah, that the liturgy was an interesting section too. Yeah, it's all interesting. But. I loved what he said. That was my last note about that was mm-hmm. um, where he says a mass is a kind of a ballet. I guess Merton, Thomas Merton was going to be um, become a priest, and he asked various friends, and one of them was Jewish or not Catholic anyway. And he's like, so what is the mass? And he said, well, it's kind of like a ballet. Hmm. It's a, yep. you know, there are all these formalized responses and moves that you make in response to other moves, but it can still change within the form. Or maybe I made that part up. But anyway, that's the point he was making about the ballet. Mm. We know what to expect from a ballet, even though it's different each time a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Or our experience of it is different. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah. I did like that. Very interesting. Yep. Well, is there anything else you'd like to say about this whole book? Well, I did... Did I say this at the beginning? And if so, I'll just say it again, which is that I really enjoyed that his examples for the three paths were really strange. Mm. I thought, or difficult books, Brides Had Revisited, Purgatorio, and Flannery Mm O'Connor. Because from the outside, they are difficult. And once you've experienced them, you may not fully understand them. 
And I'm thinking of Flannery O'Connor's short stories here, as well as Dante, which I do know some, a little tiny bit. Those are things that I like, but I don't understand. And they can be intimidating even when you've been through them, but you kind of still want to go back to them. Yeah. And that's kind of that strange, it's a bit of an echo of that fascination of being a Christian and having this relationship with God that is, it's so ethereal. You can't really grasp it, but it's really concrete. It's really there. I don't know. You can't describe it. Mm -hmm. Ineffable, right? Yes. (laughs) There's your word. (laughs) Another great word. Yes. I'll add that to the list. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, I completely agree. Um, yeah, and and I, and I love the the fact that he would just do that, you know, recognizing the the power of art and fiction. Yeah. Um, in this way uh, is something that I really appreciated, and um, I definitely need to look at Brideshead Revisited because of, you know, it's here. I, I've read uh, thanks to you, Dante, mm-hmm. and uh, we've read lots of Flannery O'Connor, although I haven't read that particular novel. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, that makes me think, you know, I, I need to take a look at Brideshead. Everybody mentions it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Did you read another one that, that people mention uh, that Kristen, La- how do you pronounce that Kristen Lovren's daughter. Okay, yeah. Yep. What was the final verdict on that one? Did you oh, read was- the whole thing? I mean, it was giant, what? isn't it? Oh, yeah. Okay. And we, our book club read it. It was kind of fun because we are not a, a chatty email group. Uh-huh. You know, it's the here's when the next one is, here's what we're talking about. And, you know, occasionally somebody will go, oh, I can't make it this time, but that's it. Um, Everybody just shows up and then it's all in-person stuff. Hmm. But this one, because we were going to talk about it during March, everybody started reading it in January and there'd be these occasional pop-ups of conversation where somebody go, oh my gosh, I've been reading, I think if I read 20 pages a day, and people would, oh, that's what I'm doing too, you know. And so there was a lot of conversation going on hmm. just about doing it. And um, it was kind of interesting. I'm, yeah. And it was funny because that's a book that's been pushed at me forever. You should read it. You should read it. And I just look at it and go, it's huge. And it's about some Swedish lady or whatever. Uh-huh. I don't care. <laughs> And, you yeah. know, when you go through it, because it's assigned in that way, mm-hmm. it actually then it's like the interior castle or, um, oh, my gosh, the story of a soul, which I tried to read several times. And Augustine's Confessions, mm-hmm. where when the book club read it, then I was forced to go through it and read it. Wow. And it was very valuable. Whether I reread a lot of these things, I don't know, but I definitely am glad I did it. Well, good. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Okay. And definitely Kristen Lovren's daughter, that's a really good one. And it's super valuable for people who are married. Hmm. It, I was surprised at what a reflection on marriage it was. How interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Two very flawed people. And uh, most of the book is about their relationship. Hmm. Okay. Well, Just good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. So, yeah, I had no idea what it was about. Yeah, it's, it's just something that keeps coming up. In, yeah. oh, golly, why don't I know this? Sweden. Because they'll talk about the Norwegians. Oh, the women there are like this. <laughs> you know, we love it when we're going on crusades there, or whatever we're doing, you know. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> They're wild and crazy and they have black hair. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Like witches, mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, flawed individuals, as I said. Yep, yep. But it's a, got a really strong religious streak because all these people's religion is treated seriously, and they themselves treat their religion seriously. They're just like us, though. They often forget about their religion. They often do stuff anyway. They often don't realize the results of what they're doing. I mean, you know. Yeah. 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 Okay. So. Well, nifty. Okay, yeah. Lavren's daughter. Yeah. Very cool. Yep. Yep, those are my roots, right? You know, my last name is Danielson. Oh, and, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm a full half Swedish. Oh, wow. Yep. Well, yeah, Lovren's in the book. He is a very mm-hmm. admirable person. Yep. Though not without flaws. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, so so I'm like I'm Viking, and then I'm a quarter Irish, so mm. I dislike myself. <laughs> oh, you right. fight with yourself all the time. That's right. Oh, too funny. You drink and fight like crazy because that's what I'm hearing. This three fourths situation. <laughs> well, I'm thinking further back than the Swedes now. Yeah, but, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> whereas I'm a mixture of a, a lot about five or six things. So, uh, yeah. and there's no big um, portion that you can hmm. really go. Oh, I'm half this. Yeah, can't do yeah, that. Yeah. Well, thank you for reading this, and thank you for talking about it. I'm glad you picked it. it. Like I say, yeah. it has been on my radar for a while but it's one of those that you know there's always some other book coming along to push it out of the way so yeah, well, i finally good. was forced to read it and i'm glad i did and i'm now going to force it on my husband and my daughters <laughs> enjoy that you guys yeah <laughs> they've been going so you but you're not done with it yet right as i'm going you really should read it you would love it <laughs> they're like I'm, oh I'm, maybe yeah. later <laughs> i'm eagerly awaiting this special episode of more is more based on the strangest way because there would be nothing more delightful than that, I can tell you. I'll tell them. <laughs> I love it. Goodness. More is More, by the way, is a podcast done by Julie's daughters, Hannah and Rose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all about really bad movies. Yeah. And it's very it's funny. It's a bad movie podcast, as yeah, they say. It's very funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, they've had about 17 episodes now. Yeah. Cool. And uh, I enjoy them a lot. <laughs> they a make lot of me laugh. I don't have to watch Too myself. Good. Yeah. Oh, how did you feel about their Frozen episode? I haven't listened to the Frozen episode oh, yet. Oh, probably yeah. just well. I will. I will, though. I, I listened to uh, Transformers, mm-hmm. which made me laugh out loud mm-hmm. several times. <laughs> well, they have, and um, Highlander. Highlander was a great oh, yeah. one. <laughs> oh, man. They did say at the beginning of Frozen, if you like that movie, do not listen to this podcast. Oh, and it is my favorite movie. <laughs> I know you loved it. <laughs> As I kept no, saying. I'm joking that it's my favorite movie, but no, I was not turned <laughs> off by it. Well, you know, learn, learn why to be turned off by it. I am going to warn you. Rose promises an upcoming episode on Kubo and the Two Strings. Ah, okay. Sounds good. But you might want to skip that one. <laughs> you already right. with me. Well, let me have it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Three accepting souls, God. <laughs> Quality. Oh shoot! It's all part of the path. It's all part of the path, Julie. Oh, and wise. <laughs> See, walking along now in your brown habit with your staff and your yes. halo and a bird perched on your shoulder. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, you bet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. All right. Well, yeah. thanks for listening, everybody. Oh, and next we're going to do... Oh, that's right. Next we're... Is it King Kong time? Yes! Yes! Okay, cool. One of my favorites. King Kong. But the old choice. one. The first one, yeah. right? 1933. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Ray. <laughs> yep. Can't wait. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. King, King Kong. Yep. So, all right. Okay. okay. Well, now, thanks for everybody who's listening. <laughs> we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right. We'll see you later. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.